Nice to see everybody. Nice to be seen by folks online. We couldn't do this last year. Still parts of this we can't do. We can't have our the foot washing, but it's so good to be back. There is uh, there's still a lot of things that we haven't been able to do. In fact, one example, it's been a long time since any of us uh, went to an all-you-can-eat buffet. That's probably a good thing. But do you remember that beautiful pre-pandemic feeling of standing in front of this giant steaming trough of food and thinking, this all looks so good. But I can't eat all that. If I, if I eat all that, I'm going to explode. Let me tell you that the Monday Thursday readings are basically like that for preachers. It just all looks so good. But I can't eat all that. If I preach on all that, you're going to explode. But I, I mean, we've got some doozies in these readings to serve up, don't we? We've got some important things for church nerds like me to feast on. And hopefully for all of us. But I, I mean, we've got the institution of the Lord's Supper. Interestingly told by St. Paul, who was not there. But he said he got it from the Lord Jesus himself, the risen Lord. And actually, this passage from 1 Corinthians is the basis, you probably recognize, is the basis for much of our liturgy around the Eucharist that we say every week. On the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant, in my blood. Do this as often as you will drink it in remembrance of me. And we know these words. We love this sacrament. And that, I mean, that's a big deal. But then we've got the Gospel of John. And John completely skips the meal. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about the Passover meal, the, the Last Supper, but not John. John uh, for John, what is important is Jesus getting up from the table, getting down on his hands and knees and washing their feet like the lowest servant. Their leader and their king basically acting out a parable that the greatest among you must be your servant. And surely such service is one of the great tenets and expressions of our Christian faith and Y'all, that's a big deal. Then we got the new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. Gosh, do we need that message in a time like this? That's a big deal. You see what I mean? Like, how are you going to fit all that on your plate? But then, you know how, like, you go to the buffet and... and and you go through it all, and you carefully, you're stacking everything on your plate, and you get it just like you want it, and you're walking back and, uh, to the table, and you're giddy with anticipation, because it's going to hurt, and it's going to be awesome, right? 
But then somebody walks past you and on their plate, they got prime rib. And you're like, prime rib? I didn't know they had prime rib. Everything tastes better with prime rib. And so you got to go put your big old plate down and you got to go get another plate. Is that just me? The Passover account in Exodus is like the prime rib. It makes everything else on this amazing buffet taste better. We know how important the Passover is for our Jewish friends. But it is actually difficult to overstate the importance of the Passover for our Christian faith. In fact, I think it could be said that the Lord's Supper and servant leadership and all and the new commandment to love one another that all of these find their roots in or at least are incredibly enriched by the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Now, you remember that God has sent Moses back to Egypt to demand that Pharaoh release the Hebrews from slavery. And as our reading picks up tonight, Tom read, the land of Egypt is essentially in ruins. Because nine times, Pharaoh has refused God's demand. And nine times, God sent a plague. Blood in the Nile River. Frogs, gnats, flies, the death of their livestock, boils on their skin, hail, locusts, and three days of pitch darkness. These plagues have devastated Egypt. But the area where the Hebrews had been living, it has not yet been touched by these plagues. They're doing great. But the tenth plague is it's going to be different. The tenth plague will be the one that finally breaks Pharaoh's iron will. The death of the firstborn will be a sort of judgment day. And it will be visited on all people in all the land of Egypt, including the Hebrews. But God has a plan to save his people from his own judgment. So a lamb would be sacrificed for each family. And the blood of the lamb would be painted on the frame of the front door for each Hebrew home. And then the lamb would be roasted and consumed by the family in haste as fuel for the long journey that lay ahead of them. And as they're eating, every firstborn son could look at that lamb Roasting over the fire and, and say, that lamb died, so I did not have to. And so the spirit of divine judgment comes over all the land of Egypt, including where the Hebrews were. And it would see the blood and pass over the home because there had already been a death there. And this, so the sin had already been paid for and the sinner could go free. Now, of course, the the blood on the doorpost was sacramental. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. But it's it's not as if the, the Spirit of God had no other way to discern who belonged to Him. The blood was an outward and visible 
sign on the doorpost, and it pointed to the inward and partnered graces of substitutionary sacrifice and obedience of faith. Substitutionary sacrifice and obedience. And it was by these sibling graces that God marked who was His own and withheld His own judgment for their sin against Him and led them out of bondage and into freedom. And from the very beginning, God made it clear that this exodus, this extraordinary event of divine salvation and deliverance, that it was to be marked throughout all generations with a sacrificial meal of unleavened bread and wine. And they still do it today. In fact, some of you have have had that Seder supper with, uh, with some of your Jewish friends or some Maybe, maybe on your own. That sacrificial meal of unleavened bread and wine retelling the story of how God graciously saved and delivered His people. And so it was, 2,000 years later, in an upper room just outside of Jerusalem proper, that Jesus was gathered with His disciples to celebrate the commemorative Passover meal. And Jesus knew, though his disciples were not yet aware, that this was the night before Jesus was to die. Now, we typically think of the Last Supper uh, with Gethsemane and the trial and the cross all looming before them. But the disciples didn't know that. Right yet, and, and so from their perspective, it was, this was all in the context of the telling of the ancient Exodus story. It was in the atmosphere of God providing a way for His people to escape His judgment. It was in, with divine salvation and deliverance on their minds and their hearts that Jesus stood up at the table. Instead of looking back, He Jesus took all of that triumphant story of God's victory, of God's love for His people, of God's saving and rescuing His people. He took all of that and He invited the disciples to look forward. And so He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He held up the broken bread in front of them and said, and said this is My body. And it is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine. And he gave thanks. And he held it up for all of them to see. And said, this is my blood of the new covenant. And whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He is the Lamb. At their meal, there was no Lamb. Because He's the Lamb who was sacrificed on our behalf. He's the one that we can look at and say, that Lamb died, so I don't have to. His sacrifice 
is the means by which God withholds His judgment against our sin. And so Jesus is both the deliverer and the means of deliverance. He is our ticket out of the bondage of guilt and shame and not enoughness. He's our ticket in to spiritual freedom. And the Eucharist that we celebrate each week, in which we are going to celebrate in just a few moments, is a Passover meal. And it celebrates God's saving grace. And y'all, that's a big deal. That's not all. See, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world got up from the table a second time. And this time, he stepped aside and he took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he got a bucket of water. And he knelt down and he took on the job of the lowest servant. John tells us that Jesus loved them till the end and and the way that he manifested that love was to make himself low and to lift others up. He's just demonstrating with the bread and the wine that he came to save by the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood. And he taught us that we are to testify to that gracious deliverance and it is in serving that we are to do so. By serving. But remember, it's not just now go serve. It's all in the context. The Passover story, the entire Passover is an act of God serving His people. He's the one who heard their cry. He's the one who called Moses to lead them. He's the one who humbled their oppressor Pharaoh to the dust. He's the one who provided them with the means to escape His judgment against their sin. In fact, He provided the means of escape for the very people who would begin rebelling in the wilderness almost immediately. Jesus displays the divine posture of grace-filled service by washing the feet of the very same disciples who were hours from abandoning Him in His darkest hour. He told them they were going to do it. And He washed their feet. In fact, His humble service to His disciples is just a foretaste of the grace that He would win for all of us, sinners that we are, on the cross the very next day. The poet Malcolm Geit captures this when he writes, And here he shows the full extent of love to us whose love is always incomplete. In vain we search the heavens high above, the God of love is kneeling at our feet. Though we betray him, though it is the night, He meets us here and loves us into light. Jesus exhorts us not to... He exhorts us to lead others to His love and grace through service to them. I've set you an example, He says, that you also should do as I have done for you. Sacramental. It is not the act of foot washing like a box you can check off. It is the disposition of loving humility that says, I'm willing to serve you and lift you up as a demonstration of God's great love for both of us. That's a big deal. 
So the Passover gives this rich meaning and fullness to the Eucharist, and it's the fountainhead, really, of Christian service. And if you can fit anything else on your plate, the Passover also informs the new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, I'm probably running up on my time, so I'm going I'm to keep this one short. But basically, every religion or philosophy from Buddha to the Beatles calls its followers to love one another. Right? All, you, all you need is love. But the Christian call to love is different. Jesus is not calling for random acts of kindness. He's not even calling for committed affection. Both of those things are good things. But Jesus is giving the new commandment in the context of the Passover meal. And he is the ultimate Passover lamb. Tomorrow, we're going to see just how Jesus loved us as he hung on the cross, taking our sin. Upon himself. That lamb died so that I don't have to. That lamb died with my sin on his shoulders so I don't have to die with my sin on my shoulders. And when we die in this life, we die with the full expectation of eternal life with the Father because of how Jesus loved us. To love others as Jesus loved us is to seek and serve the advantage of others with costly humility, and self-sacrifice in the extreme. And let me tell you, it is much easier said than done. In fact, I will say, the only way to do it, even a little bit, is to be constantly looking at the ultimate sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. Not trying harder, not buckling down, not extending your own lint. Whatever it is, is just looking at the Savior and being thankful for His love for us, who gave Himself for us freely and who was Himself God's plan to save us from His own judgment. We cannot overstate the importance of Passover for our Christian faith. Understanding it makes everything taste so much better. Which is why tonight, in the Eucharist, we break the bread. We will say, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Amen.